0: My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flack. Episode 205 Fisher Price Adventure People. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Today is July 15th, 2021, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about Fisher-Price Adventure People. But before we dive into this subject, we've got a few minutes to chat on this week's loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. It's been busy here around uh, Flack Studios. I've been doing a lot of streaming, and I, of course, put those streams. The streams go live on Twitch TV, and then they get uploaded over to YouTube, where they are archived for all time for generations of people to watch me play Commodore 64 games. (laughs) Last week, I streamed Hardball, which was the game I reviewed on Sprite Castle. So if you want to watch me horribly play 8-bit baseball, you can go over to youtube.com forward slash amigos retro gaming and find that stream. And last night I played Defender for the uh, originally from uh uh Atari and um Williams. Uh it was it was ported over to the Commodore 64 by Atari Soft. But then I played a bunch of Defender clones, a bunch of different games that were very similar to Defender, like Drop Zone. And uh, I even played some Choplifter, uh, which is not (laughs) necessarily a a Defender clone. I I played that because I was playing um, Chopper Command, which was recently ported over to the Commodore 64. Lots of good stuff. So if you're interested in watching Commodore 64 gameplay and uh, watching me talk about it, then, again, just go over to uh, YouTube. Uh, The Amigos Retro Gaming channel and look for the Sprite Castle playlist and you'll find that stuff. Um, I'm also kind of working on a project of some additional videos that will be uh, counterparts to go with the podcast. And those are probably going to end up on a new YouTube channel, which is Sprite Castle. So... Um, there's not anything there yet, but there are things in the works. So if you want to get uh, a jump start, you might want to go over there and subscribe to uh, youtube.com forward slash sprite castle. If you like my podcasts and you like the content I create, then I guarantee you're going to like what ends up appearing there. It is the middle of summer here in Oklahoma, and that means it is in the high nineties every single day and My daughter recently had her sixteenth birthday and we had a bunch of her friends come over they had a pool party, kids swam it was a, a good time. But my wife picked up snacks and drinks to have while the kids were here, and she picked up well while we were at Walmart, we picked up a few cases of shasta. <laughs> Cola, uh, different different flavors. We got some grape shasta. We got some root beer shasta. Even a diet, you know. And it just really sent me back to my childhood. I don't I don't know if I've talked about this. It, if I've I know I've talked about it recently. I don't know if it was on a podcast, but uh, essentially, when I was a kid, my mom used to to babysit other children, and so we always had uh, you know four or five other kids hanging around our, ca- our house. Uh, sometimes before and after school, but definitely during the summer. And so we would always buy these industrial size bags of cereal. That's one thing I remember, just these bags of Fruit Loops that seemed like they were as tall as I were. I'm sure that's a, a exaggeration, but, uh, you know, maybe two foot tall bags, these giant bags of, of Fruit Loops that, of course, would go stale after about three days. And then you'd have to eat stale Fruit Loops for two months. But uh, we also used to get cases of Shasta Cola. And so, um, again, uh, I, I know that I talked about this. Maybe I talked about this on a previous podcast, but I'm not supposed to really drink, uh, carbonated stuff anymore, but I got, uh, I did sneak out one can of, uh, Shasta grape and I was sipping on that the other day and man, it just took me back to being eight years old, just sitting outside in the summer drinking Shasta, getting all sticky <laughs> because of all the sugar in it and stuff. Um, it was just a good memory, it just reminded me of uh, summers uh, from my childhood. It was a good time. Anyway, we don't have too much in this week's loading time. We're going to go ahead and uh, push on to the show. So um, if you have feedback about this or any episode of any of my podcasts, you can email me directly at robohara at robohara.com. You can join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord, or leave me a message on my podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. Don't forget that all my Patreon supporters get access to the Amigos Discord server, which is home to several podcast communities, including the Amigos ARG Presents, Pixel Gaiden, and the Speak Irregulars. So if you want to come support the show, find out what's going on behind the scenes, get all the blog posts, the weekly videos. Um, all, all kinds of additional perks. You get entered into uh, drawings. I'm starting to do some random drawings. Go over to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara and sign up to support the show. I believe the lowest tier is $4 a month. I try to put out four shows a month. So basically that is $1 per podcast. I also want to give a shout out to Edward Smith, who is the first person to take advantage of the yearly Patreon subscription. So there is a yearly option. I had to jump through some hoops to get that enabled, but it is there. So if you sign up for a year, essentially you pay for 10 months and you get two months free. Um, and the best thing about Patreon is that anytime I feel like not recording a show or putting things off, I feel super guilty knowing that there are people sign up waiting for me to make uh, content. So if you want to ensure that my podcasts go on forever, <laughs> see, now I have to do the show for another year. Thanks, Edward. So anyway, uh, if you want to ensure that you don't know Flack and Sprite Castle and all these things go on until uh, basically I keel over and die here in front of a microphone, that is the best way to do it by signing up on patreon (laughs) well that's enough time for all the notes i've got everything saved on my handy dandy commodore 64 i had to transfer them over this week using a zoom floppy so it took a little bit longer but all my notes are here now so let's get started talking about fisher price adventure people So not too long ago, I was in big lots. I love shopping at big lots and dollar general and family dollar and all those places where you can buy things really inexpensively. And then either there, um, I won't say that it's, uh, everything is, is cheap or, you know. Seems like a lot of the things I get break very quickly when I buy them from some of those places. Big Lots is actually pretty good. But uh, while I was in Big Lots, I was looking at their little toy area and I saw these generic brand, I would call them generic Legos, but of course they're not Legos. They're some knockoff brand. And then on the front of the box, it said, compatible with the leading brand of building blocks. So obviously they can't say Lego either. (laughs) But they want you to know that even though this is... um, not Lego brand that it is compatible with Legos. And that's funny that I saw that because I have been thinking in the back of my mind about Fisher Price Adventure People. Now, a lot of people are familiar with star Wars action figures and star Wars action figures are, uh, except for there are a few that are smaller and a few that are taller, but generally speaking, they are three and three quarter inches tall. It's also sometimes you'll see it written as 3.75, but it's three and three quarters inches tall. It's a very specific scale. You'll see a lot of action figures today refer to that scale as three and three quarter inch size action figures. But Star Wars action figures didn't come out until 1978, and they were not the first people to use that scale of action figures. Fisher-Price Adventure People was a line of action figures that came out in 1975 and ran through 1985, so they were being produced for 10 years, and they came out three years before Kenner came to market with their Star Wars action figures. The adventure people line of figures are responsible for a lot of how we think of action figures today. They really normalized a lot of things that other lines just assume would be the norm. Now, uh, they did not invent... The term action figure. As a lot of people know action figure was coined by Hasbro in 1964 for their GI Joe figures. They couldn't, they tried to uh, market these as adventure dolls, but, but boys did not connect to the term dolls. And so they came up with the term action figure. So that's where it was coined. But G.I. Joe back then were all 12-inch figures. I'm sure you've seen uh, the large 12-inch G.I. Joes. Uh, But one of the things that Hasbro did was that they licensed creating G.I. Joe figures to other companies. And some of those companies even licensed things out to other companies. So there were a lot of different people making Uh, G.I. Joe, G.I. Joe accessories, vehicles, things like that. Uh, You may have heard of Palatoy as a company. Palatoy was one of the companies that was making uh, G.I. Joe accessories. Uh, But there was another company called Takara in Japan. And so they were licensed to make G.I. Joe uh, figures. And one of the things they made was a cyborg figure. It was called Cyborg One. And it used the torso of GI Joe action figures but then it had clear plastic limbs so it was kind of this robotic looking uh, futuristic cyborg but uh making these pictures or these uh, figures got very expensive because of the oil embargo you know you have to have oil to make plastic and so to cut down on costs Takara started making a new line of their action figures, which were three and three quarters inches tall. So this is really historically the first time that we see, um, an articulated action figure at three and three quarter inches tall. Now, that was still not what we would call a standard, right? There were all different sizes of action figures and, and dolls and things being made. Of course, you have that 12 inch line, you know, that G.I. Joe used. Uh, of course, Barbie used that. I think Six Million Dollar Man used that. So there were a lot of um, 12 inch figures, 11 and a half, 12 inch. They're all, I kind of looped those all in the same. Uh, and in the early 70s, we have Mago, Mago, Mago uh, action figures. I believe, uh, again, they started in 1971 and theirs, they referred to theirs as a one ninth scale. Those are eight inch tall action figures. And you've probably seen, I had some Star Trek, um, action figures from that line. They had a lot of superhero, uh, figures, you know, like Batman and, and things like that. So there were a lot of different, uh, figures in that, that line, but, uh, So none of these were standard, right? You have things all over the board. You have 12 inch, you have eight inch, you have these three and three quarter inch. Um, There was also a difference at this time because most of these dolls had loose clothing instead of molded on clothing, which like if you think of Star Wars, think of, you know. Their their clothes are are just part of the action figure. You can't take Han Solo's vest off. <laughs> I don't know why you would want to. Um, but most of these other ones I'm talking about, you could. Like, you could take off G.I. Joe's army fatigues and switch their uniforms. You could take off the uh, Star Trek figure's uniforms, you know. So, Fisher Price uh, had a line called Little People. I know that you've seen them. These are the little... Guys with um, cylindrical bodies—it's just like a cylinder. They don't have any arms or, or legs or feet. They have a round head, and uh, usually they fit into playsets or vehicles. They have a little hole, and they just kind of sit in there, right? Um, but Fisher Price—I mean, this is those are uh, toys for young children, and they wanted to come up with a product for older kids. For you know, I think um, ages four to nine was their original market. So, um, they basically decided to take that three and three quarter inch uh, scale and use that for their action figures. Now, one of the deciding factors of that was that big action figures required. Big play sets. If you've ever seen the Barbie dream house, I think my sister had the Barbie dream house and she had a, either a Barbie, I think she had an RV or something like that. But these toys were gigantic, <laughs> which meant they were very expensive to make a lot of plastic and they were expensive to buy. You know, I, I don't know how much a Barbie Dreamhouse went to, but went for, but it, it wasn't cheap. You know, so if you could scale down the action figures, you could scale down the vehicles and the play sets. So that was kind of Fisher Price's thinking, you know, so they came up with this new line called adventure people. And there were basically three different parts of uh, Fisher Price adventure people. There are sets and most of the sets are vehicles that come with a bunch of accessories. And then there were the figures that came with the sets. And then later there were figures that were sold separately on cards, so you know, just like how we think of uh, action figures today, hanging in Walmart on pegs, things like that. So that was uh, pretty much the three uh, different lines. The action figures are—it seems weird explaining what they look like or or how they're built because it was uh, unique back then. But of course, now it's what we expect. Um, they. Basically, they have um, uh, articulated arms and legs so they, they can move at the hip and they can move at the shoulder. And then they have kind of this unique uh, head configuration where they could turn their heads left and right, but it's like a, a ball joint. So they can nod forward and backward. Most of the figures can nod their heads forward and backward as well. Uh, This was kind of a problem later on because I know I have a few figures that their heads won't stay up (laughs) anymore. So I think maybe that that socket um, gets loose over the time from where. Um, a couple of the figures also have bendable knees. I know that the uh, motorcycle, the guys that ride motorcycles, they bend at the knees, which kind of makes them uh, bow-legged when you try to stand them up on their own. And um, uh, the, the few of those that I have spend most of their time on the motorcycle. They they work a lot better there than uh, trying to actually to get them to stand up. So Fisher-Price launched their line of adventure people in 1975, and they released five play sets. Uh, I don't know why, but all of the sets are numbered uh, in the 300s, and the first set is numbered 303. So I'm not really sure what 301 and 302 are, but uh, they released five sets In 1975 and those sets are the emergency rescue truck, the wild animal safari, the air sea rescue copter, the daredevil sport plane and the wilderness patrol, which is uh, another plane. Now, uh, just to run through these real quick, the emergency rescue truck is a uh, kind of a scaled down ambulance that's that seats two people in the front seat. I believe there's a button on it that makes noise. Um, not very advanced electronics in these, uh, although there was one or two toys that had, uh, more advanced electronics, the wild animal safari was this little, uh, Jeep, you know, it was a safari kind of Jeep thing, but the takeaway of this was it had like 20 pieces It had all these different animals and it had a camera and stuff. So there were a lot of pieces. Uh, I think there were sleeping bags in that one. There was a lot of stuff that went with that set. Uh, and then you have, uh, you know, two airplanes and one helicopter. You've got the sea rescue copter, which could, in theory, land on water. You have the daredevil sports plane with just a one seater uh, cockpit, you know, open cockpit. And then you had that uh, Wilderness Patrol, which is a yellow plane, which is tilted way back so that I guess it could land on, uh, in the wilderness. If that makes sense. But those are the first five sets that are numbered 303, uh, through 307. Now, as a kid, I don't think I personally owned any of those sets. The first set that I owned Fisher-Price Adventure People was called the Daredevil Sports Van. This is set number 318, and it was released in 1978. Um, it consists of a green and yellow van. The bottom part is molded plastic. The bottom half is yellow, but the major part of the body is green with this big mural on the side, uh, which is just a, a sticker that's been stuck on there. It comes with a blue kayak that you could strap to the top. There was also an oar that went with the kayak that snapped into place. Uh, there was a motorcycle that went into the back of the van, and it came with a guy who could ride the motorcycle. And then there was a second guy that came with a parachute. <laughs> so imagine this weekend, you and your buddy, you're like, hey, you want to go out? I got a van and a kayak and a motorcycle and a parachute. <laughs> Let's go have a fun weekend. Uh, it sounds like an action adventure to me. Uh, so Daredevil, Daredevil sports fans. So these were the Daredevil guys. Now I have a very uh, specific memory of interchanging. And I, I'm, I'll talk about this more as the podcast goes on, but uh, because these were the same scale as star Wars figures you could mix and match these with figures. So you could use, uh, you could let Star Wars figures or put Star Wars figures in Fisher-Price vehicles. And you could use those guys and put them in the Star Wars universe. So I specifically remember taking Han and Chewie on a vacation in the Daredevil sports van. I remember thinking, you know, after they've blown up the Death Star, they've done all this stuff, they deserve a break, you know? And so I, you had this little thing. I one thing I would do when I would play with action figures when I was a kid is I would take a blanket and put it on the floor in my room and just scrunch it up, and then that blanket became a playset. You know, you had all these hills and valleys and and uh, places for figures to stand and and things for vehicles to drive over. I, I did that a lot as a kid. And so I remember putting Han and Chewie in, you know, the Daredevil van and saying, well, they deserve a break. Now they're going on vacation, you know, <laughs> and would take them out and play with them in this little van, you know. So so definitely as a kid, I remember uh, mixing and matching those things. The other set, if you had asked me um, before a certain point, I'll talk about that point here after I tell you this story. But if you had asked me before a certain point, how many... Fisher-Price Adventure People sets I owned, I would have told you two. One is the Daredevil Sports Van. The other was the Alpha Probe. The Alpha Probe is set 325, and it was released in 1980. And there's another set that goes with it that I'll also tell you about. It's the Firestar 1. It was also released in 1980. It was uh, 357. Uh, The Alpha Probe might be one of the most recognizable sets of the Fisher price adventure people line. It essentially looks like the space shuttle. It came with two astronauts. Uh, One of them was a man and one was a woman, which I now looking back, I think about how progressive that was in 1975. Uh, You know, that would have not been the norm. You know, you wouldn't GI Joe was not releasing female soldiers. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Uh, So, to have uh, a man and a woman astronaut Uh, at the time. I don't know if it seemed weird to me as a kid, but now looking back, I can see, uh, you know, that it it was a a conscious choice. Uh, The space shuttle bay doors open and there's a little escape pod, a space shuttle thing in the back. So there's room for one pilot in the front of uh, the alpha probe. And there's room for one person to sit in the escape pod. I guess if things go uh, go south on the old uh, Alpha Probe, only one person's <laughs> escaping. So you might want to be the guy who sits in the escape pod. Uh, but yeah, those bay doors open and closed and you put things in there. Um, the uh, One of the cool things about this playset is that it came with these air hoses and the air hoses are hard plastic. They're molded kind of like the letter S and on the end of the letter S, is, um, these little pegs that are almost shaped like a letter T. So there's one on the top bottom and one sticking out straight and they're on both ends. And so on the alpha probe, there are places where you can, you know, connect this air hose. And then there are places on the figure where you can connect the air hose. There's a hole on the back. Uh, I think there's a hole on the foot. So it creates this illusion that they are floating in space and that the air hose is just, you know, this this kind of floating out there in anti uh, uh, no gravity situation. Right. Um, when in reality, they're just being held up by this piece of plastic, but it's a very cool effect. If you were setting up action figures uh, like I was, you know, I had a shelf with all my stuff. It was a, a neat thing to have. Now, the other cool thing that the Alpha Probe had was it had three different sound effects and it had these little red LED lights that would flash on the wings. And so you could press these uh, one of three buttons and it would make it sound like it was taking off or there was an alarm sound, things like that. Uh, So this was um, more advanced than most of the Adventure People sets. Most of the ones that I remember uh, did not use batteries or do anything like that. So this was um, kind of unique in that way. And again, this thing intermingled perfect. With Star Wars and Kenner's line of action figures. You know, I mean, what better to put stormtroopers in than this big white space shuttle to have them patrol things? And you could use those astronauts in Star Wars, you know, and, and put them in the Millennium Falcon or have them hanging around the, the Death Star or whatever you wanted to do. You know, I mean, they, uh, they almost look like there's an astronaut that's in the cantina scene in Star Wars, and these guys almost look like that, you know, so it was just a kind of a cool match. Now, this other set, Firestar 1, was a small black and gray one spe- uh, one-seater one vehicle. And it had the same white plastic hose that came with it. So you could tell that it was kind of a partner, uh, maybe almost like a, a, a child set to go with the Alpha Probe. And it also came with an astronaut, except for this astronaut was in a black suit, and he had a green face. So he was this cool a alien kind of dude, you know? And so uh, obviously they went together, um, and you could, you know, I guess you could pretend like they were friends. Maybe they had met in space or maybe they, they weren't so friendly, you know? Uh, but, uh, you know, whatever you wanted to do with it. But again, just, uh, this, both of those sets were released in 1980. And, um, you can see how star Wars affected, uh, Adventure people, of course, adventure people influence Star Wars. So maybe there's kind of a circular thing there. But after Star Wars, there's a lot more space sets uh, that get released. Um, although as a kid, I never really made that correlation between Fisher Price Adventure People, the outer space sets and Star Wars. I always thought of it more uh, maybe it's just because of the timing and because when I was a kid, but I always put it together with the Lego uh, space Uh, kits that they had, you know, in the little Lego spacemen and stuff. I don't know. Maybe it was all influenced by Star Wars or just what was going on in the world. But, uh, um, yeah, you could definitely see a shift as the line goes on to more space vehicles. Um, Now, again, what I was saying before is if you had asked me just off the top of my head at one point, I would have said that I owned two Adventure People sets, vehicles. You know, those were really the only two. Uh, But then I have this Polaroid that my dad took of my Star Wars collection. I had this blue toy box in my bedroom that had a few shelves on the top. And that's where I kept all my Star Wars stuff. And I was looking at this Polaroid picture and all of a sudden, you know, I was kind of zoomed in. This is later that I had scanned it in and I was looking at it and I began to realize how many adventure, uh, people that I own and how many sets I owned. And as I'm looking on my shelves, they're all intermingled in, for example, on, uh, the top row, you know, there's like the X-Wing, my X-Wing fighter, but it's in the middle in between the, uh, the daredevil green van. And on the other side is this blue and white speedboat. Now I kind of remember owning that speedboat, but I didn't know it was part of the same line, Of adventure people, you know, and the speedboat was kind of cool because it had a uh, trunk, I guess, or storage space in the front, and it came with these orange uh, scuba diving masks and and the big air tanks on the back, which I used to use all the time with my Star Wars guys because it looked like a space uh, air tank that you would use if you're floating out in space. So, uh, you know, another example of just mixing and matching these toy lines. But I didn't realize that that was part of the same line as the green van, you know. And then on the middle row, you've got um, my Hoth play sets. And then right next to that is the Alpha Probe. So um, I don't know if as a kid, if I realized these were all the same line of toys. But uh, when I saw this picture, I was like, wow, I had a lot of these, you know. And so that sent me looking online for, I found a catalog that shows a lot of the things, but uh, more than the catalog, there are a ton of websites out there that have uh, gone through and indexed the entire collection. There's, I believe, 50 different play sets. They call them play sets even though they're all vehicles, and there are about 75 unique action figures. So it's not a huge toy line. If you wanted to collect them all, it, it wouldn't be that tough. There are a few rare figures, but most of them are are pretty common. The, the hardest thing to get is, um, I'm getting ahead of myself, but in the vehicles, a lot of them have, uh, additional stuff like that safari kit that I mentioned has, you know, this little monkey, it has little, uh, animals it has sleeping bags and has all these little accessories that go with it. So it's pretty easy to get, uh, the safari Jeep. It's pretty hard to get it complete with all that. And when I say hard, I mean, expensive, <laughs> they're out there. It's just not cheap. um, so as I started looking through this catalog and these online websites, um, one thing that I didn't remember, although it makes sense is that none of the action figures have names. So it's not like, you know, Dave, the fireman or anything like that. They're just named, uh, you know, whatever sex they are and what their career is. So there's, Uh, One of the first ones is female paramedic. There's female TV reporter. There's male safari dad, you know, so, um, so there are, I would say probably, I'm just making up a number here, but let's say 90% of the line are white males. Um, and then there are a few that are women and most of the women are like, you know, Safari dad, and then there's Safari mom and Safari daughter, you know? Uh, but there are like, there's the paramedics. There are, uh, there are a few women action figures. Um, and also there are a few African American figures again, not too many. I think there's a, a pilot, who's African-American, the um, TV reporter is an African-American woman. So, uh, you know, it's not like today where you would expect it to be 50-50, you know, you would expect other uh, races to be portrayed, Um, but it's like they were doing a little, you know, they were doing, they were making some effort. And so uh, when you were a kid, you know, and you picked up this set and you would go, oh, you know, there's this, you know, white guy, that's a fireman and there's his black buddy and they're firemen together, you know? And so maybe it did kind of plant these seeds that all these people were, you know, working and playing and going on adventures together. So, um, could they have done more probably, but in 1975, again, I think it's pretty progressive for what they were doing uh, at that time. So again, there are 75 action figures in all, but then there are a few variants and so if you're a collector you know what that black hole is like <laughs> collecting variants, you know, on the uh, female astronaut there are the early ones have blonde hair, the later ones have brown hair. So that sort of thing. They're not anything um, you know, life-changing variants, but there's uh, I saw one where I think one of the guys the um parachute guy there's ones with different pairs of shoes like one has black shoes one has blue shoes so there's a few things like that but uh, essentially there are 75 different action figures as far as the play sets go and again they refer to them as play sets i would just call them vehicles uh most of them fall into one of the these five categories that and again i just came up with these categories but there are uh, outdoor and camping sets there are rescue sets that would be all the ambulances and the, the rescue plane and stuff like that. you've got a lot of water sets, there were uh, boats and spelunking submarines and things like that. Uh, you have racing sets, lots of different, uh, cars, things like that. And then, uh, again, after star Wars, there are a lot of space sets, a lot of moon buggies and the alpha probe and, and things like that. um, if you're collecting these sets, and I touched on this, um, it's kind of difficult to get them complete for two reasons. One, because they had a lot of different parts. Uh, and number two, because a lot of them had cloth parts. So those little um, sleeping bags, there's a cloth tent, there's some other things like that. Those, unfortunately, have kind of tended to rot over the years. And so you have to find one that was stored pretty well to, to get complete sets. But I got to tell you, Uh, just for me personally, I, I don't get hung up on, on the completeness on these. Um, you know, the fact that I have my daredevil van and I have the kayak and stuff, uh, I don't have the parachute for it, but it's that kind of thing. Like, you know, it's 95% of the toy. I'm okay with it. It's not like. Um, they're accessories, but they're not part of the main vehicle. So it's not like star Wars, where if you bought a, um, the, you know, the millennium Falcon is terrible to try to collect because you've got that radar dish. That's always missing. You've got the trap door. That's missing. You've got the landing, uh, little things on the bottom. You've got the, the holograph chessboard, you know, all these things, uh, that the top of the cockpit's always missing. So it's, it's things that are missing, but it, it, when you look at it, it looks incomplete without it. These things look complete. I mean, the van looks like the van. Uh, you know, whether or not you have the parachute that went with the guy. So, I, I just don't get wound up about completion on uh on these sets. Um along the way, you know, as this this line of toys matured a little bit again, it ran from 1975 to 1985. They added uh, some different, I would call them gimmicks to try to make it appeal to older kids. Uh, one was the ground shaker funny car, which is one that I owned. It was a, a race car. It's a funny car. If you've ever seen those, those are the ones where the whole body is one piece of fiberglass and they flip up. Uh, and this was a very minor model kit that you put together. Now, when I say model, um, I want to say it had 10 pieces or something like basically you, you, um, attached, that the headers and the exhaust and the manifold stuff like that, the air intake to the motor and you snap the motor in. And I don't remember if you put the wheels on or not, but it, it wasn't super advanced, uh, model. I mean, it was 10 pieces or something. Uh, and it did have a rubber band pullback motor so you could pull it back and let it go. And the car would take off. Uh, so just little things like that, you know, they were constantly adding little things to, uh, to some of the sets. Now, um, uh, again, if you want to get into start collecting these and that's what I did, I, and it's been probably 10 years ago, but once I saw that picture and I saw those, I was like, Oh, I mean, it just really triggered those nostalgic feelings for this line because, um, not just for the ones I owned, but for the ones I remembered, like my friend across the street had the Safari Jeep and I was like, Oh, I gotta have that. And I remember he had the little Indy 500 car. Uh, and so I was like, oh man, I want, you know, I want to own that. So there are a lot of websites that have enti- uh, cataloged the entire line of toys. All you got to do is go online and search for, uh, uh, Fisher Price Adventure people and you'll find these websites there. They're easy to find. Um, again, you know, depending on how complete you want these things to be, uh, you know, I, I looked online for, the uh, Alpha Probe just now on eBay, and there are loose ones that are missing parts for about twenty dollars. There are pretty complete ones for about forty. So um, again, it's it's not you know real expensive to uh, start collecting these. Uh, Again, you know, I just mentioned this, but a lot of the toys had decals like the, uh, uh alpha probe has all these detail, you know, sticker details on the wing and stripes on the side, and uh, it can look pretty bare without those, but there are websites where you can download, uh, high detailed pictures of those and print them out and make your own decals to put back on there. So if you get a toy that's missing the stickers, you can kind of create your own, um, Another good thing about these is that very few of the sets were white. Um, And so the Alpha Probe is one, there were a couple of the Space. Uh, buggies that were white, but mostly they weren't mostly they were colored plastic. And since they weren't white, they haven't yellowed. (laughs) So if you're a collector of vintage star Wars toys and you've seen, you know, X-wing fighters and millennium Falcons and tie fighters that have yellowed, or even the action figures that have yellowed over the years, uh, it doesn't seem like the adventure people suffer from that quite as badly. Um, just because you know that colored plastic, and and if they are, maybe those colors hide it. Maybe the maybe they are fading or changing a little bit, but you don't really notice it uh, with the colors. Uh, I would say also that the figures have mostly survived pretty well. Uh, they have normal paint wear, just like any action figure from people that are playing them. But again, uh, some of them that were played with hard, it seems like their joints get loose. Um, now of course I have Star Wars figures that have super loose joints and there's, uh, you know, ways to, to solve and fix that as well. But, um, you know, with, uh, the adventure people, you have that added thing of their heads <laughs> getting loose. And so when their heads, like my, Um, I don't know if he's a a parachute guy. I think he's the guy that came with the daredevil set, but his, his head just won't stay up straight. You know, it just falls over like he's standing there in shame (laughs) while all the other figures, uh, are, are playing around him. So, uh, that, you know, sometimes I, I consider fixing these things with a little dab of glue or something. And I know that's not the right way to do it. Uh, I had a 12 inch, uh, it, it was a spare, but I had a 12-inch Chewbacca that the internal rubber band that was holding his arms in place broke. And so I used some super glue and I just stuck his arms back on. And so he looks pr- pretty good until someone tries to, to move his arms. <laughs> um, just like the action figures had variations, a lot of the vehicles also have variations. Uh, the uh, Indianapolis or the Indy race car which is just a little one-seater car. It's not, not to scale for sure. It uh, was available in white or red. And then there's the stunt plane, which was two plastic halves joined together. And I think one is orange on top with white on the bottom, and the other is the opposite, with white on top and orange on the bottom. Um, so, you know, if you're into variants and stuff like that, you'll have a little bit of things to chase down, but there aren't that many of those in the line. Now, as we all know, as as history played out, Kenner won the right to create Star Wars action figures, uh, and they, you know, debated about what size to make them. Uh, but they knew that they were going to have to make uh, vehicles and playsets to go with them, and so they settled on the three and three quarter inch uh, size or scale of action figure. Now, they needed to create. Some mock ups of what these figures were going to look like and present them. And so, what they did was they took a bunch of Fisher Price adventure people and they mocked them up to look like Star Wars figures. They painted one, uh, you know, with a white shirt and a black vest to look like Han Solo. They got one that looked like Luke. There's one, uh, Princess Leia, they used um, uh, one of the female figures and made a Princess Leia. And these pictures are out there on the internet if you want to find them. Uh, you know, you can just search uh Adventure People Star Wars. And um I went to Rancho Obi-Wan uh, a few years ago, which is owned by Steve Sansweet. It is listed as the largest privately owned collection of Star Wars toys and memorabilia. It is absolutely amazing to see. I mean, it's a a giant room connect to a giant warehouse that connects to another room. I mean, it's just the entire thing is, uh, uh, you know, it takes you a couple of hours and he goes through his entire collection of Star Wars stuff. It's really, really fascinating. And I don't think he has the original mock-ups, but he has some that were made and maybe, maybe it's a fan thing. I'm not sure, but he has some adventure people and it's, you know, when you look at the adventure people, you go, Oh, there's a, you know, there's a safari guy. Oh, there's a, you know, a camper guy, but with a little bit of paint, You go, oh, yeah, all of a sudden that camper guy with the gray hair and the gray beard looks a lot like uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) And so it was cool uh, to see those. They didn't do that much physical work to them. They just did a lot of painting. But uh, it really, you know, basically that's what sold the line, you know, Um, and based off those mock-ups. They got got the green light to uh, move forward with with Star Wars figures, you know. Uh, and again, because they used that size, which is good for us, that made those two lines of toys interchangeable. Um, so without Star Wars, would three and three quarter inch figures have become the standard? I don't know. That's debatable. You know, there were you could say that um, Fisher Price did it first, which is true. But there were a lot of different sizes. There were those eight inch figures, there were 12 inch figures, three and three quarter was just one of um, many different scales that were being used, right? But once Kenner did it with Star Wars figures, everybody wanted to be compatible with Star Wars. So all of a sudden, that next year, you see um, Buck Rogers figures that are the same size. You see, I mean, there are a million, there are a million different lines. G.I. Joe eventually comes out three and three quarter inch. Um, I had Ghostbusters figures that were three and three quarter inch, you know, um, literally you could go down and, 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 look through catalogs and, uh, see just where that switch is turned, right? Right after star Wars comes out and that line hits it big. Everybody wants to be that scale. Uh, and it's being used today, right? We still have reaction action figures that are coming out today. They were, I think originally they were done by, um, pop. Um, like the pop vinyls, but now they 're made by a super seven or, or that 's the parent company now, but we still get new three and three quarter inch action figures and in fact, I purchased um a Twilight Zone three and three quarter inch action figure of the monster that's on the wing, right? In that classic Twilight Zone episode that was also in the Twilight Zone movie where the the thing's on the wing and it's destroying the wing of the airplane. And I keep it, on the wing of the Alpha Probe. And so I have it set up as like a little funny joke. Uh, Every now and then somebody will notice it and they'll get a kick out of it. But mostly it's just a joke for me. Uh, And that the astronauts are set up where they're kind of like standing next to the space shuttle. One of them's pointing and then there's the monster on the wing (laughs) from the Twilight uh, episode. So uh, yeah, because these things are all the same size, you can uh, mix and match them if you're interested in collecting adventure people, uh, it's not that hard to do. I just looked on eBay. There's a, uh, an auction right now for 16 figures. And again, there's only 75, right? Um, so that's a fifth of the figures, and right now it's listed with uh, a $40 buy it now and $8 shipping. So if you were to pay that, it also has a thing that says best offer. But if you were to pay full price, that's $3 a figure, and that's a fifth of the collection right there. Of course, there are some, like I said, later uh, release figures that are a little bit more difficult to find. And what I have found is it, it's it's that... um conundrum, if that's the right word, you get the best price by buying things lots. Like you're going to get a better deal if you buy 16 figures. But when you buy 16 figures, you also get some duplicates of ones you already had. So, um, I don't know, maybe you could save those and and trade them or you can, uh, put them in your death star (laughs) and have them be random people walking around the death star. Um, you know, I think one of the the biggest misses of this line uh when i think back about it is that um they didn't have the same marketing that obviously well nobody had the same marketing star wars had right i mean star wars was a uh a, you know a blockbuster film and uh, so, you know, people saw the movie and then they wanted the toys. Right. And later on, when you look at things like, look at he man, uh, or look at, um, uh, thundercats, you know, and, and, and those type of toys, uh, where they had a, a Saturday or not a Saturday, you know, a, a syndicated, uh, cartoon, like, like GI Joe was on five days a week. I remember when I would watch it, um, He-Man was on every day. And so you would see those things and go, oh, well, I want He-Man. I want this toy, you know, that sort of thing like that. And that's really the thing that Fisher-Price Adventure People never had. You know, Um, I always like to think that they missed out on an opportunity to have um, an Adventure People cartoon. You know, you could have had this circle of you know, maybe three or four guys and, and, you know, one was a fireman and one was, uh, you know, a, a safari guide and whatever, whatever they were to go with the things. And then they could have gone on adventures and, and not only could they have had crossovers between, uh, the different play sets, but they could have had crossovers with other lines. Like imagine if, you know, <laughs> the adventure people, like, they were out camping and then all of a sudden GI Joe showed up and they were like, Oh man, we need to borrow your van. All right. (laughs) I got a kayak. How will that help? You know, that sort of thing. Or, um, you know, some outer space cartoon and all of a sudden you run into the alpha probe. Uh, I don't know. I just think there was a potential there that was missed out, um, by Fisher price, Fisher price, you know there are cartoons today, and they have all kinds of. I see Fisher Price uh, little cartoons and stuff online. So, uh, you know, I, I just feel like they they missed out, and that could have been a uh, a pretty cool marketing thing. My collection of Fisher Price uh, Adventure People, I own about half the sets, maybe a few more. If there are fifty sets, I own probably twenty five to thirty of the vehicles. And I own about two thirds of the action figures. I, the action figures that I'm missing are mostly ones that were released later in the line, like 84, 85. I don't think those were made in uh, as many numbers. So they're a little bit harder to find and expensive. And honestly, I don't have the, the nostalgic connection to those. So I have most of the ones, um, that, uh, that you know, I have that connection to that I, I see and I enjoy, and and um, I do set them up on my shelves with Star Wars stuff and kind of intermingle them just because that's the way uh, that I played with them as a kid. wraps up another episode of you don't know flack if you have feedback about this or any episode of the show you can email me directly at rob o'hara at RobOHara.com. join the conversation on facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast follow me on twitter at commodore come chat with me on the amigos retro gaming discord or leave me a message on my podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF All patrons of my shows get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. I'd like to personally thank all the people that are supporting me on Patreon. First are my 8-bit supporters, and that includes Alan Hennessy, Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restle, Kerry Clinton, Chris Folds, Christopher Warren, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Heavey Darren Folds David Chambers David Hearn David Modalak Eric Stryanisi Garrett Allier Gary Heather Graham Vebke Jake Nonamaker Jason Warnes John Boat of Car Schaller John Treholt, Jose Cazada Joshua Eckroth Mark Ellie Mike McLaughlin Mitsuyama Mr. Bundy Mr. Wacky Nathan Degenhart Olaf Hope Patrick Markey, Rydar and Christopher Bow, Rick Reynolds, Roy Jacobs, Scott Lambert, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Burt, Steve Rasmussen, The Slow Norris, Zeke Pabsky, Zerfall, and The Mysterious Cobra Kai. And also, super special thanks to my 16 bit supporters. This is Boar's Head Tavern BBS, Dan Creek, Dave Zilly, Edward Smith, John Morrison, Matt Nicholson. Scott von Vondrasik, Steve Sharippa, and Vintage Volts. You Don't Know Flack is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts and the RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com. To hear more podcasts from me like Sprite Castle, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness, visit podcast.robohara.com for links to these shows. Congratulations. If you made it this far, you now know a little bit more about Flack. I'll talk to you next time.